Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stared on moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back to another episode of the Mile 40 Podcast. Thank you, everybody who has continued to tune in. The podcast continues to grow and the guests keep getting better and better and better. Today's guest, I am super excited to have on board. She was a personal recommendation, a friend of a friend, Hillary Scheinbaum. She's an independent journalist and the author of The Dry Challenge, How to Lose the Booze for Dry January, Sober October, and Any Other Alcohol-Free Month, a judgment-free guide to giving up alcohol for a month-long period. Hillary is a prominent figure in the sober, curious, non-alcoholic beverage space. She's an advocate for dry months and exploring fun, new, and different ways to live a happy, adventurous, big life. Already in 2023, she has been featured extensively in news articles and on broadcast segments, including Market Watch's piece, Non-Alcoholic Options on St. Patrick's Day, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Good Morning America, New York One. I can go on and on and on. Hillary, thank you for joining joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really excited to chat as well. I've been following you along before Victoria made the recommendation to uh to bring you on to the show. So I'm really grateful that she connected us uh because I feel that um your topic is a topic that's just continuing to increase with popularity day over day and you know on the surface it could seem trendy. But a lot of times when you peel the layers behind um, this overall theme and why perhaps people are taking a step back from drinking, uh, regardless of of what their personal um, objectives are, uh, it seems to be that it's a lot deeper than just a dry January exercise now. Um, So maybe let me start off by asking you, how did this all get started? Oh, it was an accident. I love that. I know it's what's crazy is I think about maybe what my life would be like hadn't it happened, but who knows? Who knows? Um, so to give you some background, I used to be a red carpet reporter by night and I was a wine, beer, and cocktail journalist by day. So my nightly events would start at 5 p.m. for check in, you know, 6, 6 30 for red carpet an event at like seven or eight, and then an after party starting at like 10 o'clock. And at these events, there were always top shelf liquor, you know, um, overflowing champagne flutes. And I I didn't drink every night, but certainly, you know, drinking on the job wasn't a no-no. So, and then I would wake up the next morning and I would report about uh, cocktail trends and, you know, interview bartenders and uh, write about restaurants as well for USA Today and AM New York. So also living in the city and being a single 20 something, I was, you know, going to parties and dates and all the fun things that New York has to offer. Um, So alcohol was abundant. Um, 
And this is where the accident happens. So I, I go to dinner with a friend and we catch up. Um, he asks me if I have any New Year's resolutions because it's the last week of December. And this is in 2016. And I, I told him I didn't. And he brought up this thing called dry January, which I purposefully just ignored. I changed the subject. Um, I thought it was silly given everything I just told you and how my lifestyle was. And uh, lo and behold, a week later on New Year's Eve, I had a glass of champagne in one hand and my cell phone in the other. And I tipsy texted him and I said, do you want to make a bet? And so um, with my buzz, I proposed that we do a dry January and the person who lost would buy the winner dinner anywhere in New York City. So the stakes were very high because New York is expensive and it can it can really, really go up in price, um, depending on where you're dining. And that's that's really how it started. Um, because I proposed a silly bet and I had a, a great friend who agreed to it. And how did the bet play out? Well, it went great for me. Um, I did 31 days without any booze. I it, well, I'll tell you how I felt afterwards. But uh, for my friend Alejandro, he spent a hefty price uh, paying for dinner at Momofuku Co. So to this day, huh. he will not bet me anything ever again. Um, and I went through my month. Um, by you know day 10, I was sleeping better. I had clearer skin. I felt like my mood was elevated. And uh, typically during a month like January, it's gloomy. It's nasty and wet in the city there's not a ton of fun things going on so um yeah it really it changed my perspective for that month and and really for almost past eight years now which i've you know continued to do a dry january every year and another uh a number of sober months in between so it's it's really evolved and um yeah and then i, I wrote a book about it so <laughs> that's how it started I love that. I mean, um, I, I mentioned this on a on a podcast episode previously, but I've been nine months dry right now. I, I decided in January I was going to do a dry January. And then in January, I found out I was running the Boston Marathon this year. So I said to myself, let me take a couple months off until April. You know, Why not stay dry while I'm training? It's probably better for training purposes anyway, and recovery and, and hydration purposes. And it was right around that time where I had Michael Chernow on the podcast. Um, and he talked about his story and the obstacles that he overca- overcame as an alcoholic, as a drug addict, and how his life turned around You know, once he went sober. And... Um, you know, I was really bought into the fact that uh, his sobriety really meshed well with his desire to be just an overall high performer. And so I was allured by that. And I decided, you know, like, let me just see, had I actually cut the booze and let me figure out how this is going to impact me on a day-to-day basis. Spoiler alert, I didn't wake up with a six-pack the next day and I still don't have a six-pack. But from a mental clarity perspective um and you know just the fact that i feel like i could be more mentally present um and you know my mind is just more awake and from a recovery perspective i just feel tremendously better at this perspective at that point um you know i, I could definitely speak firsthand to the impact uh, of just 
laying off the booze for a little bit. And by no means am I sitting out there, you know, on my high horse preaching and telling anybody what to do. Uh, but I do think it's just such an important topic and one that for a while was a little bit taboo. And so I want to talk, get into now what led you to putting pen to paper. Yeah, well, I think it's still taboo in in certain you know cities and parts of the world and and cultures and and even families, right? Because we we use booze as a way, and I say we as in like the general population, um, to relax and unwind and bond with each other, and we use it in in some religious contexts, um, you know. And so for me, I wrote this this piece, um, and it was really about how my skin improved and which seems very superficial. Um, but as somebody who works in multiple industries, including beauty, um, and, you know, is sometimes on camera, it definitely affected the, you know, the dullness factor was not there. And my skin was more hydrated. And it was just a healthier thing. So that was the first thing I did. And that was, I think that published in 2018. Um, so when it came to writing my book, it was really, I almost want to say it was easy, like writing a book. Typically, I think people, um, might struggle with depending on, you know, what their regular jobs are. But for me, because I'm a, a full-time writer, it, it came very naturally. And it was all the things that people were asking me on a regular basis. And it was really the guide that I probably could have benefited from. Um, on that, you know, first day, January 1st, uh, 2017, when I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself into. I started, you sent me a copy and I started reading. Um, but I want you to sum it up for the audience here with regards to, uh, some of the key takeaways that you talk about in the book. Um, and, you know, essentially how you pitch it to your audience. Yeah. So it's a non-judgmental guide to giving up alcohol for a month, whether that is a, jar, a dry January or a sober October. And it highlights how to do it, but really it pinpoints, you know, having a friend do it with you is a really important uh, thing. It definitely helped me. It, it has uh, mocktail recipes. It has ideas for other activities. It talks about how to date without alcohol, because that's such a big part of finding your person, especially in a, in a big city like New York, um, and really just how to socialize and how to relax and have a great time in a big life that's full of, you know, adventure and fun without the company of booze. Let's talk about dating without alcohol. Let, I want to pinpoint on that topic really quick. Uh, and I want to get your take. You're the resident expert here. Um, what do you have to say about the subject? Um, and how do you approach it? Yeah. So... I'm currently in a relationship. Um, and when we first started dating, we shared a January together, right? We were just getting to know each other. Um, I was giving up alcohol and he was not really. Um, he definitely was respectful of my decision, which was a big factor in why we continued dating. Because, you know, in the past, I had gone on dates with guys during a dry January or another dry month or just a day that I wasn't drinking for whatever reason. And people, you know, tended to be a little bit pushy or asking, you know, kind of aggressive questions in terms of, of my why, which I don't mind when people ask, but certainly when, you know, people are poking fun or they're being less understanding, it's a red flag for me. So um, 
I definitely am a huge uh, proponent of drinking or of dating without alcohol because I think that it really eliminates that barrier and that filter of, you know, oh, maybe this person didn't mean what they said, or perhaps I misread, you know, this certain cue. And I think that you can really um, cut through a lot of BS and, and see people for who they are and also bond over activities that you really enjoy doing, whether or not you are, you know, imbibing or whether or not you're looking for your soulmate. So, um, I, I definitely recommend it. Um, especially if you're on the fence about someone and you're not sure if there's a spark there, I, I would highly suggest doing an activity that you love to do on your own, um, and, and bringing them into the fold. What have you learned about your own relationship with alcohol? While doing this, you know, I, I speak for myself over the last couple of months. You know, I've, I've learned things that I didn't expect to learn, to be honest, about my relationship with alcohol. And, you know, for context, I wasn't a heavy drinker. My wife and I just had a baby last month. So it wasn't the last year, excuse me. So I wasn't like going out frequently. Uh, and, I, I think even with coffee, I have this thing where I just like something in my hand, uh, you know, in the morning. And I think it was like coffee in the morning and then a beer like or a glass of wine and, at night. And it was just being accustomed to something, you know, in my hand. And, and you know, it was that motion. And over the last couple of months, like I, I, I just kind of learned about myself and kind of like how I could be in control of some of the things that at one point I thought were just customary. Is there anything that you have specifically learned about yourself, um, you know, as you've been doing your sober months or really throughout this entire journey? Absolutely. I think there's so much for one, I was always a social drinker. So I wasn't, I wasn't drinking at home, but what I realized was the people around me in the conversation and also how much I was enjoying that conversation or not enjoying it when, you know, I gave up alcohol for a period of time. Um, I realized, you know, that the the people around me who would still be around me if I wasn't drinking or we were doing something else were still there. Um, and some of them, you know, fell off and for, you know, a variety of reasons. But I feel like if, if drinking is the thing that bonds you together, um, it, sometimes you need to find another activity or maybe sometimes you need to find a, another social um, scene. Um, so that was one thing. I think for me, the biggest thing was I didn't realize what impacted me until it was gone, right? So I think that and I make this this comparison pretty frequently. Um, obviously, there are people who, you know, need to go gluten free, they need to give up dairy, they need to, you know, eliminate certain things in their diet. And I found that more often than not, when and I'm not a doctor by any means, more often than not, though, when you know, I had a friend nursing a hangover, and they were telling me, that they didn't feel good a day later, or they were tired or feeling lethargic. It was their resolution was that they were going to cut out, you know, um, an ingredient in their regular day to day life, which might have been the culprit. But my suggestion was always just cut out alcohol for like a week and just see how you feel. Just try it. And um, the pushback was was pretty pretty strong. You know, <laughs> oh, it's not the vodka. It's not the tequila. It's the ice cream and it might be, but, um, I'm a big fan of ice cream, so I will defend it to its death. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just found that a big, a big learning, um, lesson for me was that 
without alcohol, how differently I felt and in a positive way. Yeah. And you bring up a good point about friendships. And, you know, one of the things that, I, that I've learned uh, over the last year is the fact that I'm still doing the same things that I was doing before, right? Like 95% of my friends are drinking actively, but I'm still hanging out. Like I was in Adam Montauk all summer doing the same exact things I was doing the, the previous summers. I was just feeling a lot better yeah. doing them. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that I really want the audience to take away from all this is the fact that you can still do a lot of the things that you're doing, still be in the same places, still carry on those conversations, still enjoy yourself. Um, and it's one of those things where it might be a little bit of an adjustment at first. Uh, but once you get past that early stage, it just gets continues to get easier and easier and easier. Um, and so I kind of want to make sure that I I dispel a little bit of that fear. Uh, because I'll be honest, I had that fear. Uh, you know, at one point, it was like, well, who am I going to hang out with? Who's going to want to hang out with me? And what are we going to do? And uh, to your point about dating, you know, my wife and I, when we were together dating, yeah, we were out a lot and drinking a good amount. Uh, and you know, she still she still likes me, so that's good. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, like you really are in control of it, um, and and I want to make sure the audience knows about that. I want to pivot a little bit, and we talked a lot about what you've been doing and what you know the world sees from you in terms of the material and and the platform that you've built. But let's get to know Hillary Hillary a little bit more. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and a little bit about your personal background. Yeah. Um, so I was born in New York. I grew up in South Florida in the greater Fort Lauderdale area um, in a town called Coral Springs. Um, I actually went to two high schools and then I went to two colleges. So I started um, at Florida State and transferred to the University of Florida. And I like to joke that I'm basically you are a Seminole and a Gator. Yeah. Yeah. I, they're bitter rivals. If you yeah. are a football fan or you're not from the state of Florida, you might not understand, but they are probably one of the, the biggest rivals out there. Yeah. Um, and they're about a two and a half hour drive from each other. So, um, yeah, that was interesting for sure. I always say, you know, during football season, I just want them to have fun. I root for both teams. You want both um, teams to win. You're one of those. Yeah. yeah. They only play each other around Thanksgiving every year. So the rest of the year, I can actually cheer for both. Um, and yeah, I, I joke that I am the same person as I was in high school and college because in high school, I ran cross country in college. And in high school, I was the editor of my yearbook. And in college, I... I contributed to both of the school papers two years and two years. So I still am a writer and I now I'm training for a marathon. So it's, yeah, it's, um, it's been interesting, but uh, yeah, I, I moved to New York after college and I spent, you know, five years on the red carpet as a reporter interviewing celebrities and um, I've contributed to a lot of other publications since. So the New York Times, USA Today, the Wall Street Journal, and Bloomberg. Um, and I cover a variety of topics ranging from food and beverage to weddings um, and health and lifestyle and more. So that's a little bit about me. I, I was going to bring up the marathon, so I'm glad that you brought it up. <laughs> She's running New York this year, so we'll see her out there. 
Um, you know, the industry that you chose, like you said, it, it there's a lot going on in in that industry, right? And like you're exposed to a lot. You probably have to be moving at a rapid pace all the time. Um, clearly, you know, it kind of laid a foundation for you in terms of the platform, the book, and and the messaging that you're throwing out there. Um, why did you even get into journalism to begin with? Um, I'm really bad at math. <laughs> I'm just, well, I'm not kidding. But I think early on, I realized that writing came much easier to me than algebra. Um, and I enjoyed it. And I really like to read and I like to learn. And I like to ask questions. And so that was always, you know, part of my interests. And I think since eighth grade, I wanted to write a book. So it's like I said, I, I feel like there's a part of me that is just still the same. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, you know, helped me in the sense of, of getting to talk to more people about um, this movement. And it's, it certainly uh, helped me, you know, craft the message because I think until recently, a lot of people viewed sobriety as a, a very black and white issue. And now I think people are coming to realize that there is an in-between. Um, also, you don't have to identify yourself as somebody who never drinks or is sober or there is, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, a difference between people who are sober curious and maybe sober-ish because perhaps they use other substances. So, um, yeah, it's an ever-evolving uh, movement and and topic, but I think that thankfully, you know, using words to to really get the point across is, is very important. Hey all, it's me, Bishoy. As a marathon runner and endurance athlete, I've come to understand the importance of properly fueling your body for preparation and recovery. Every day you get a shot at success. How you start your day typically paints a picture of what the rest of the day will look like. Start your day with a super convenient, healthy, and delicious nutritional win. Meal one by Creatures of Habit. Overnight oatmeal packed with 30 grams of plant-based protein, chia, flax, and pumpkin seeds. Vitamin D3, omega-3s, a probiotic, and digestive enzymes made in under one minute. Stop wasting time or worrying about what to eat as your first meal of the day. Start with meal one. Visit creaturesofhabit.com, creatures spelled with a K, and use code MILE40 for 15% off a one-time purchase or the first subscription order payment. What's interesting to me about all this is a lot of times you see writers who talk about these topics or people who are outspoken about these topics are generally coming from a moment of bottoming out related to those topics. And uh -huh. in your case, that doesn't seem to be the situation, right? Like you don't talk about having a horrible relationship with alcohol or, or you know, alcohol abuse being part of your past or anything like that. Yet it is so front and center for you uh, and something that took on a life of its own. And I think that's something that's really interesting um, and in a positive way, because I think it, it kind of makes your perspective really even keeled, right? Like you didn't have a problem that unless unless there's one that you didn't share, uh, but you didn't have a problem. You just identified something that you know maybe we weren't speaking about as a society, and you brought it to the forefront. Um, and I think that's really unique, and that that's really really special. Um, but as you know. 
mile 40 is all about talking about those moments where we bottom out. And so if it wasn't going to be about alcohol, let's talk about uh, you know something along the way and along your journey uh, that was perhaps a, a teaching point for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually do feel though, I have to say, I mean, I, I can tell you about a lot of things where I bottomed out, but in terms, in terms of alcohol, I think that just having the consistent, you know, terrible sleep, feeling burnt out, feeling exhausted all of the time, not reaching my full potential, but also not even recognizing what that is because I was trying my hardest, doing my best you know, still drinking and just operating on this hamster wheel that until I pulled back without alcohol, that there, there wasn't that clarity. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that's it, but I, I will say that I think there was a, there was the time that I was, I was let go from, so before I, let me, let me set the scene. I graduated from the university of Florida and it was 2010. So nobody's hiring. It's a really, you know, terrible landscape out there in terms of getting a job. I really wanted to get an editorial job. My dream was to be the editor in chief of Team People or People Magazine. I wanted to interview celebrities. Um, I applied for a job on a website and it was actually to be a stringer for Us Weekly. And okay. so I had the pleasure of interviewing the cast of the Jersey Shore. I love that. I spent two days in Miami with Snooki and the situation, both at their their house in Miami and at a nightclub. <laughs> um, I remember it was like it was yesterday. Vinny was telling me he was going to go back to law school, and it really was it was such a high, right? Like this is exactly what I wanted to do. I loved celebrity gossip. I was on Perez Hilton all day in college, and then I knew I wanted to move to New York. So I had applied to jobs. I wasn't getting any feedback. Um, and I even moved to New York temporarily with family uh, on Long Island. And I applied for, I was starting to apply to PR jobs, which eventually I did work in PR for about a year and a half. Um, but I, I remember telling my parents I had this one interview, right? And it was a with a global PR firm. They're still like one of the biggest and one of the best. And I went to the interview. I was obsessed with this job. I was so excited. And um, I didn't, I, I told my parents, like, I will move back to Florida if I, if I don't get the job. <laughs> I didn't get the job. I didn't move back to Florida. It was like a completely, you know, poker face lie. But that's not, that's not even me bottoming out. What happened was I actually ended up getting another job in PR and I worked and I, and I actually was part of um, a, a boutique firm that is very, it's very good. It's, it's probably one of like the best, it's actually how I, I met Victoria. And I, I was like, go from that job. And I was devastated. I, you know, had kind of built now this resume of being a publicist and it was part of my identity. And I had so many friends, you know, in the office and I just felt like, what am I going to do with my life? And I was, I was very young too. So I think also giving that perspective helps because I didn't know anything else. And I was very, I was pretty depressed about it. I was very upset, very anxious, very, um, 
you know, I felt like a failure. Somebody who, who for me, I had, you know, played sports all my life. I was very ambitious. I was very um, much, you know, one of those kids who was like in gifted classes, you know, the type. So like very type A, always, you know, kind of achieving the best of the best. And to, to be told like, you know, this is not for you was such a, a setback for me. Um, I think ultimately, you know, what ended up happening is after not working for maybe probably a few months and my parents telling me that, you know, the, the day that I am not able to, to pay for my rent, I need to come home mm. um, is when I, I was very lucky enough to, to get my next job in doing celebrity red carpets, which, which essentially has set me on this path, right. For, um, for the past 11 years. But I, I do remember it like so vividly just feeling like I had had lost like a part of me. Um, and it, it wasn't something, you know, as devastating as now I realize like it, it, it probably wasn't, it was actually the best thing that happened. But at the time it was the worst thing in the world. Um, I think that also, you know, as far as social media goes, when people see how how glamorous things are and how well you're doing, and then you have to explain to somebody that um, it's it's not no longer happening. I think is 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 one of those things that it is very um, I don't know. It was embarrassing at the time, very hurtful on my on my soul. So um, that was definitely a big one. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times those inflection points are are inflection points, right? Like they are moments where, you know, you, you think you're, you think you're at your worst. And then, you know, over time, that next opportunity comes along and you realize like what you were shaping yourself up for. And when you look at where you were then and where you are today, and one of the things that I know about you that perhaps someone on the outside doesn't know is the fact that you are building out your entire platform on your own. All those press appearances, all those features are being done by you. And yeah. if it wasn't for your experience, probably working in the industry, building your relationships, being able to understand you know, what they're looking for, then I don't know that you would have accomplished you know, a percentage of the success that you've seen today um, off your platform. And so uh, I think that you know, it's really important to kind of dig into that inflection point and realize, um, you know, what it did for you. And side note, you talk about, you know, being really into celebrity gossip. You know, one of my lifelong dreams is to make it into the sighting section on page six. So at, at some point, I'm just throwing this out there in the universe. I know you're part of that world. Uh, at some point, you know, I, I hope to uh, to see my name uh, in the sighting section for anyone out there listening. Um, a good way, <laughs> yeah. No, no, in a, in a good way, in a good way, yeah. uh, for sure, in a good way. Uh, yeah, something about like how like top performing podcasters, you know, spotted out at the Surf Lodge like in the summer, hanging out with you know, blah blah blah. Uh, we'll with see. The Kardashians, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, speak it into existence, right? Yeah, I believe in it. And um, we'll wordsmith it a bit, but but I think we've got something here. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, you know, I, I, I love this story because it really does come full circle, right? Like people at the surface may not know where all this came from. And a lot of times people just see 
the highlights, right? Social media is a highlight reel. And they see the features and they see the appearances. They see the news articles. They think to themselves, like, how did this happen? And probably assuming, oh my God, she must have had some sort of crazy story with alcohol. But what I love about this is, um, you know, as I said earlier, you really are coming at it from a perspective um, that's truly, you know, even keeled and, and one that kind of sees both sides of the coin. I want to give you the floor really quick because I want you to, you know, think of the younger version of you for a second. And I am sure the younger version of you didn't see any of this coming. Um, and I want you to talk to her. Uh, and you know, that probably represents an audience member out there uh, about you know, how your path may not be as mapped out as you thought it would be, uh, but why perhaps that's something to be grateful for. Oh my God. So loaded, but like so important. I think... And this kind of goes back to what I was just saying about your identity. I think that especially in New York and especially in big cities, or if you're an ambitious person who has this idea of what your life is going to be like, we we tend, or at least I tend, to hold on to that image or that idea. And I think that it's so important to realize that it is going to evolve just like maybe your wardrobe would evolve. You're not going to, you know, fit or wear the same, maybe it, I guess now because it's styles coming back, but you're probably not going to wear the same thing that you did in high school. So, you know, 10, 20 years down the road, you need to evolve as time goes on. It's not going to be an automatic switch either. And so when, you know, these road bumps come or change is, is starting to take form, I think it's important to see where that goes. Um, I think, you know, personally, as somebody who is so in the industry of booze, I think at first it was probably a huge shock to people. And even for me and, and my identity as somebody who wrote about this topic and was so familiar with people in the industry to explain myself in a way that made the most sense for me, but also conveyed to them, like what I was doing took a little bit of practice. Um, but I, I really do think it's it's an identity thing because even, you know, for so long to identify as somebody who is, you know, going out and on the scene and doing all these cool things and then to to kind of, you know, take a step back, it it is a huge um mind shift. Uh there's no there's really no other way to explain it. I think it changes, you know, sometimes your social circle, it definitely can change your livelihood like it did for me because suddenly I, I didn't have these, these standard topics to write about anymore. But I think it's a really big opportunity to explore what else is out there and what's new. And perhaps it is, you know, being part of a new category, which is really exciting, really scary, and also takes a lot of work. Um So I just gave you a mouthful, but <laughs> I hope I answered your question. You I think... I think it's just being aware that, you know, things are going to change and that what is happening now is is not going to necessarily be the the thing 10 years from now, or even five or even two. I love it. Hillary, where can people find you and where can they pick up a copy of the book? Okay, so they can find me on Instagram at Hillary, H-I-L-A-R-Y, writes N-Y. Uh, they can also pick up a book at Target stores, Strand Bookstore, 
in Union Square, um, Amazon.com. And yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure having you on. I am so proud of the platform that you've built. Um, I'm so really proud of the example that you're setting for a lot of people out there in terms of uh, taking life into their own hands. Like you said, right? Like this didn't happen on purpose Um, and you turned it into something off a bet. You got a really good dinner out of it. And (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, you didn't know this back then, but you probably embrace it now as being a purpose, a calling and something that uh, really propels you forward. So really appreciate the context and grateful that you came on today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. You got it. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review, and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family. And let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.